I want to say something right now. I think Billy Wynn is very spiritual. Because I'll tell you what I was doing when they were running. I thought about going outside and I said, heck no. (laughs) First of all, because they're running 26 miles. That's a lot and it's raining. But God fixed me. We had a blackout and I had to go and get a bunch of ice as soon as I got back and unloaded the fridge and everything like that. The lights came on. So I had to deal with that. But uh, it's a great day. We love the rain, right? God's given us what we need. And uh, we are uh, coming towards the end of our series on Makeover Home Edition. This is the Kingdom Edition. And and I I got the little, you got the bus right there. I'm looking at the monitor there because I can't look up. It's a big, big change up here today. It's a little, little intimidating, but it's all good. But um, how many of you have watched that show before? Okay, that's a lot. You guys are softies. You know that, right? And, and, and that's the whole show. The show is designed to pull you in emotionally. First, they establish there's this family with this amazing need. After all, nobody's going to watch somebody that has this amazing house get a bigger house. Right? So it's somebody, some family that has some amazing need. And then they take you through the process. And then they wrap it up with the reveal. And then the tears happen. And we somehow forget that this is a reality show, a production. So let's show you what actually happens when they have the reveal. Go ahead. Some of you guys tease me about on Facebook. There was a situation. Go ahead. Let's go to the next slide. Back when I was in college, first week of UCLA, that evil thing called a pullout bed, the bane of my existence. I was helping somebody move, and they and I was stepping up on the on the van. It was it was a van. Okay, it was 85, and they released the little bungee cord and. Ooh, in slow motion, right on the bridge of my nose. I thought it hit, I thought it knocked my nose off. Go ahead. 
So what it did, I didn't know, but it messed up my septum. Now, here's, here's where I get all technical, like I know what I'm talking about. If your nose is off center, then you know it's broken. But mine wasn't. Okay, so if it's off center, that's a deviated septum. But mine deviated and deviated, so it stayed in the center, but inside it was like an accordion. Which means, next slide, air can't get up the nose. Breathing is pretty good thing. Do you not agree? Breathing's pretty essential. I think when God created us, breathing is good. I couldn't really do that very well. And I'm an only child, and so here's my first week, and my roommate's like, you snore. I go, no, I don't. But then I thought, well, maybe I do. Who's going to tell me if I'm an only child? I, you know, so I didn't think too much of it. Also, if you remember back in the mid-'80s, air quality was, like, horrible, right? So I just described all of my lack of breathing to poor air quality. Then life starts picking up. You don't sleep as much. You're hanging out. This was B.C. days, so I was hanging out. And then you start having kids, and then you're not sleeping. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm like living now on Overland for the last few years. And that's a lot, of, a lot of dust that goes back and forth. I'm thinking it's getting trapped, so I'm thinking it's just allergies. I finally get so tired of it that I go to the ear, nose, and throat doctor. And she looks up there for five seconds and goes, oh, yeah, it's broken. Oh, I thought it was broken like 25 years ago. So I've been dealing with this for 25 years. She goes, how are you doing this? So she sends me to this sleep clinic. Have you ever, ever had a sleep study? Okay, sleep study, if you have it at the right place, it's the most beautiful night of your life. I'm telling you, I slept like a baby. But they monitor you while you sleep, and they put all these electrodes all over your head and your mouth, and I'm like, I don't know why this has to be all over me. I'm like Frankenstein. But it told me and the doctor something very crucial. I was waking up 27 times an hour. How do you wake up? 27 times an hour. Well, she told me what's actually happening. You're not waking up and going, oh, gosh, I got to turn on the TV. Not like that. You're waking up because you're just not really going into REM sleep. So she looks at me and she goes, how are you functioning? How in the world are you functioning? So she said, this is what you got to do. You got to have surgery. Great. So this is me. This is the process because it's like a reality show. So this is my pitch. I want somebody to pick this up. Here's the process. I went to St. John's, and it's amazing. They, they hook you up with all this stuff. They make you nice and warm and comfortable, and then you're out like a light. And then the bottom picture is me recuperating with a lot of Vicodin. And what they do is they break the nose. They break the septum. And before we go to the next slide, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you, they actually have to set it, right? But they don't tell you all of this because you're out. They just do what they do. And it's probably best they do. Let's go to the next slide. Because these little boogers right here, they're horrible. They don't look like they're that bad. If anyone has ever had nose surgery, let me know. Okay, I'm going to tell you and just let you know. I'm going to show you a little something just to let you get an idea of, of what I had to go through. It is relevant. If you're a little squeamish, I apologize right now. It's a risk. Sometimes you have to roll the dice. Some of you are going to really hate me for this. I don't know. But we're about to find out. I want to share with you the horror, the horror of what came next. Because a week later, they had to take the splints out. And it turned me into a Latina. 
that was the horrible thing about not that that would be bad. I'm just saying I like me. So they, what they do is they clip the pin, and you think that's it. Now they gave me a little cocaine. It's all good. But oh my God! Ew! I will never ever forget. I know it. And there's a second one because you have two nostrils. Oh, God. It was like two credit cards being pulled out of my nose. Oh, and I had the same reaction as everybody on YouTube that I checked out. What the heck was that? How do you do that? How does that fit up your nose? I didn't think, well, my nose is a little larger than most, but goodness gracious, that was horrible. But the results were amazing. Oh. People, I have not breathed like that since 1985. Y'all weren't born last time I could breathe. A lot of the singles weren't born last time I could breathe. So when I was given the topic or the theme, move that bus, I'm sorry, I immediately thought about the buses that were in my nose that had to be moved so that I could breathe. The nose was created and given to us as a gift from God so that you can breathe. Breathing is essential to life. You are not made to sleep and wake up 27 times an hour. REM is for you and for me. It's for our growth. We need to sleep. We need to breathe. Let's pray. And that's the end. No, we're going to pray. Father, uh, Thank you for the fun that we're having. God, thanks for the grace of the people. Let me show that video. Uh, but right now, uh, we really do want to open our hearts to reason, spiritual reason, God. I pray, Father, that your words would be heard by all of our hearts, including mine. God, give me your words to speak. Let them be clear. And, uh, Father, I really pray that all of us walk out with something on our hearts that we can change. Father, uh, faith in our hearts that we can change. And, uh, Father, that we'd be in touch with the grace. Lord, we love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're talking about the kingdom. You know, sometimes we need a kingdom makeover. And that's really what this move that bus thing is all about. In Matthew 13, I want us to go to that. There's a great scripture. Jesus, first of all, talks about the kingdom over and over again. And, and in truth, this whole theme of the kingdom could be in and of itself like a 20-part series, and then we'd get on after the introduction. It's that deep. It's that broad. He says, he's telling the people, he's saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold everything he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom is like a merchant looking for pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. We're going to even come back to that at the end. But let's unpack that just a little bit. You have a parable being taught by Jesus, and he says the kingdom is like this. you got two people, and they both have very, very similar stories. A little different, but at the end, they both sold all they had. So that they can come and get that field and possess it for their own. The kingdom of God is that precious, is that valuable. You had one person who stumbled across it 
And it says that it was hidden in a field. And some scholars believe that field is more like a pasture that Jesus was talking about. So it's obvious. So God made it obvious. And then you have somebody else that was looking all their life because that's the business they're in. They're looking for pearls. But when they found this pearl, Jesus likened the kingdom to, it was the pearl of all pearls that they had to go and sell everything. That means all the pearls that they had found. And they had to have that one. Brothers and sisters and friends, the kingdom of God is that amazing, is that powerful. And God wants us to find his kingdom. God may have it hidden for a time, but his intention, his desire through Jesus Christ is that every one of us would find the kingdom. I don't know, in a group this big, obviously there are some of us who believe with all of our hearts we have found the kingdom. And we had that reaction. But maybe we need to wake up to that reaction one more time. There are some of us that have been searching and searching and searching, and we don't really know if we found it. It's a little nebulous. God wants you to be certain. God wants you to find his kingdom. And then there's others that are here that are just here for various reasons. They're not searching for anything. That's okay, because you may stumble across something today that will change your entire life. Not just your life, but your family tree. And it's that deep. In Matthew 11, there's a passage where Jesus is talking about the kingdom again. In verse 12 of chapter 11, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. That scripture kind of boggled me for many years. But I do know this, that when Jesus was preaching the kingdom of God to the masses, People 20 times this size. And he's preaching the kingdom of God. It was a violent thing. What do I mean? Was he beating people in the head with it? No. Not that kind of violence. But imagine, if you will, you've come from a religious tradition where all your life you've been taught X, Y, Z. And here's this rabbi, this itinerant rabbi. You don't know what to make of him. And he's preaching something so different. You knew X, Y, Z. He's talking ABC. What are you going to do with your X, Y, Z? That's a violent assault in so many ways. That's an emotional assault. It could be. I remember the first time I came to church, the first time I came and I was searching. I had hit a very, very, very dark low. I felt the abyss. And when I came in and I heard what I heard, it literally felt like there was no one else in the place but me. And that the word was being preached directly to me. And I walked out smiling. In my heart, I was skipping, but I really didn't want to skip because I, was, I would be skipping across the highway. And that's just weird. But in my heart, I was skipping because I knew that everything was going to change. But then, as I started learning more and more about the word, wow, I had to, had to, miss, I had to, I had to move some things around in my theology had to move some things around in my expectations. The kingdom of God is not some blasé thing. It's not some cool idea. The kingdom of God calls for a total restructuring of what you think you know. A total restructuring of what you think you ought to do in life. A total restructuring of who you think controls your life. The kingdom of God cannot be second to anything. The kingdom of God is amazing, is awesome, is perilous 
sometimes when we think about it. I want to show some more slides. <clears throat> this, I got to explain. After I became a Christian, it was on my heart. I want to be, I want to preach the word. I want to be in the ministry. That's awesome, you know. And then God blessed me over time. And I want to jump to when we were on staff. I'm not on staff right now. I teach fifth grade. Uh, I do what I can. Amen. But we were in Malibu. That's what that wave represents. I'm not riding that wave, but it was nice to be around other people that rode those waves. I don't run and I don't ride waves. But it was beautiful. And the funny thing is, years before we became Christians, Shelly and I would drive up to Malibu and we'd have our little getaways because we knew each other for a long time. We dated. We lived together for five years. We were like we were married. And we used to dream about living in Malibu and all these big houses at Point Doom and everything like that. Little did I know that some years later, God would take us through a journey and that he would save our souls, get us married get us on a great track, and actually put me on a ministry staff where I could actually live in Malibu. Whoa! Are you kidding me? This is amazing. But then things changed. And the word happened after about a year that we needed to move to Missouri. Malibu, Missouri. No offense to anybody that's from Missouri. They're just very different. <clears throat> I grew up in Santa Barbara County. Okay, Lompoc, but it was still Southern California. And to me, this was amazing. Here I am. I went to UCLA. I get to stay here. God has saved my soul. And on top of that, he blesses me with this, 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 this job of I, I get to help people become Christians like all the time. This is amazing. And I'm living in Malibu. Well, this is just funny. Whimsical. Yes, I said it. Whimsical. What am I doing moving to Missouri? And, you know, it, it kind of was romantic and adventurous until we crossed the state line. And it said, welcome to Arizona. And I knew that there was going to be Arizona, New Mexico. Shout to the Birdines. They're from New Mexico. And then into Oklahoma and then into Missouri, which I didn't know what it would be like completely. But I had met Angela Williams and I knew there was going to be people like her there. But I got to tell you, some point on the journey, it hit me that I wasn't in control because we stopped at a rest stop somewhere on the 40. And the restroom said Hizen and Hearn. <laughs> I knew that life had changed from my Malibu thing to this Hizen and Hearn. I did know enough that I didn't belong in the Hearn and I went to Hizen. But then we got to Malibu, and you know what? There was something that we had in our hearts. I mean, not Malibu, but Missouri. We did have a body of water there. It's the muddy Missouri River. I said it that way. And we had the Mississippi. But, you know, I learned something there that I couldn't have learned any other place. And I learned something that I couldn't learn in any other place. We wanted to have a child for so long. And for various reasons, we had... We, we, we stopped trying, and then when we were really trying, going through process, medical this, medical that, clinic this, clinic that, go for adoption. Adoption stops because we're moving to Missouri. I'm at Missouri. 
I'm with the teen ministry. I find myself praying on the roof with a 16-year-old. I'm 32 at the time. I'm crying my head out about not being a father finally. And you know what? I learned there. I learned family in Missouri. God had to take me all the way 1,846 miles. I counted every one of them and every possum that we passed on the road dead. But he took me to Missouri to be with one of my mentors, Kurt Simmons, and to be in a ministry where it was just a different culture at the time. And he taught me family. He said, Devon, I love you. Shelly, I love you. And I know what you want. I know what's on your heart. But how in the world are you going to do it coming from your roots? How are you going to do it coming from your family structure? Yes, I know I saved your soul, but I got to take you a little bit over over to the side so you can learn this and learn that and learn family. And then when we came back, amen, God blessed us and we had PJ. That is the Lord right there. But there's been a ton of things like that. Even most recently in the last few years, the passing of my mom. She was diagnosed May 25th, 2006, 12 o'clock. She passed away May 25th, 2007, 12 o'clock hour. But what I learned through that and what I prayerfully am still learning is amazing. I hadn't seen my dad, but two hours in the past 29 years up to that point. One day. We hardly talked. And when we talked, it was about the weather. But because of that, God quickened my heart to do some things to get down to Alabama to reestablish a relationship that I really had never had since I was 11. And to this day, it has totally changed. I can't get my dad off the phone. He sends stuff to the boys like every month. We have a relationship. I've gone to visit him. He's come out to visit me. I don't think that would have happened in any other timing. God has ways. And you know what? You're not in control of your life. You're not. It's an illusion that you're in control of your life. And if you get too fooled about that, you're not going to make it to where God wants you. You're not going to develop to where or how God wants you to develop. Now, let's broaden this out because it's not just about you and me. There's stuff going on all over the world. Let's go to the next one. We've got crazy things happening in Japan. I mean, how do you have an earthquake that they haven't registered in 100 years, followed by that tsunami? I woke up at a conference in San Francisco in the middle of the night to the TV, and I'm like, what am I watching? This must be TBS or something like that. It was really happening. I shudder to think what what that would be like here in Los Angeles. Then we've got nuclear meltdown. What is this all about? These things happen, perhaps... Perhaps maybe one small reason might be to remind you and I that we're not in control of our lives and we're not in control of this world. Middle East. Turmoil happening in the Middle East. When did you think you would ever see established leaders like this be challenged by their own people? When? I don't know what's going to happen there. I have no idea, but I do know who's in control. And I know it's not me, and I know it's not you. It's not us. It's not we. It's God. And remember the image. To move obstacles 
God has to move obstacles, but sometimes it's a messy, long out, long drawn out process. It's not like on home makeover, uh, home edition makeover show. I'm messing it all up, but it's not like that. You saw what happens behind the scenes. There's a process which you see happens that quickly. And sometimes we read in the Bible and we go two or three pages and we think it's just supposed to work out like that. Those two or three pages can be 50 years. God works through process in our lives and we've got to let go. We're not in control. And that's the bottom line. We're not in control. Stew on that for a little bit. I've even got past my notes. We're not in control. You know, your life and my life, it's a mist. That's what the Bible teaches us. It's a mist. What are you going to do while you're here? I want us to understand if we're not in control, it's God that's in control. And let's look at a passage that helps illuminate that a little bit more. Because we're talking about the kingdom. Hebrews 12, verse 24. Amen. Hebrews 12. Pardon me. The writer is talking to the people who were thinking about going backwards to their religious tradition instead of moving forward. And right before this passage, he talks, reminds them what it was like when they were before the mountain where God had descended in a cloud and struck terror and fear. He said, you know what? You have come to Mount Zion. It's not like that mountain. You've come to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Does not, doesn't that blow your mind? Knowing what one angel was capable of in one night, we've got thousands upon thousands in joyful assembly. To the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven, you have come to God, the judge of all men. To the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. I wanted to highlight right in the middle of that passage, it says, you have come to God. What happens, and this is why I want to bring this up, what happens is, for those of us that really believe we found the kingdom, and we're in the kingdom, we can sometimes forget to include the king with the kingdom. It's a subtle thing that I discovered in the last week. Even going through all this, I'm going, oh, man, there's so much stuff to talk about. But you know what? It hit me. You got to talk about the king. Without the king, there is no kingdom. What are the angels doing there if there's no king? What joyful assembly is there without a king? When you get invited to a famous celebrity's house, should that happen to you? If that celebrity is not there, what's the point? If you're invited to lunch with a powerful politician and that politician isn't there, what's the point? If we try to act like we're in the kingdom and we do all these kingdom things, but we forget about the king, we forget about God. What's the point of your existence and my existence in this thing we call the kingdom? Amen. What's the point? And that means everything, because when you take the king out of the kingdom, when you take God out of the equation, what happens to our faith? What happens to us emotionally? What happens to us mentally? We fall apart. We go backwards. We got to remember, God is the reason why we're in the kingdom. And I'm in awe of things in this passage, in that one that we just read. Because as much as I'm in awe of being reminded that God's at the center of it, I'm also reminded, huh, he let me in. Yeah. And he let you in. 
He let us in. What does that do for you? That, 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 that's awesome to me. I wish that you could understand the gravity of what I feel about my own sin. I wish you could understand the sin that I was involved in. This is not where I'm going to take the time to talk about all that. You've got yours. I got mine. Thank God it was a lot worse then than it is now. But the still the fact of the matter is I am a sinner. And in my time, sometimes I go, what in the world? God, what 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 is man that you are mindful of him? What what am I that you would notice a dead dog like me? Guys, it's God's grace that we're in the kingdom. And if that's the case, then it takes me to this next passage in Micah, Micah 6, 8. And he says. Wish I could read that. He has shown you, O mortal or O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? That's my theme passage for the year. Last year it was different. This is 2011. And I'm going to tell you why. Because that phrase, act justly, I've misunderstood. And if I misunderstood it, chances are some of you have misunderstood it too. Here's what I used to think. You know, as a Christian, I better not swear, that's not reflecting Jesus. You know, as a Christian, I better be careful. Don't want to don't do drugs. Don't want to get drunk. That's just not Christian. Duh, right? We focus so much on our behavior in terms of acting, but that's not what that phrase means. That word act means to make justice. In the fullness of that word make, it means to make justice, meaning you see a messed up situation. You see an unjust situation. What do you do? You're the Christian. You're the one that's supposed to be in the kingdom. Do you want God to part the skies? Do we want that to happen and God to just do all that? Hey, God will do his thing, but he's called us into his kingdom for us to do our thing with him. So we need to act justly, meaning that person's hungry. That situation's wrong. I'm going to do what I can to affect positive and godly change. And as a teacher, I see it every day. And I wish I could tell you I was better at it. I wish I could tell you that I could recognize it better. Sometimes it's not until I get home and I reflect on the day that I go, I had an opportunity to create some justice or maybe I created some justice, but I left out the mercy because he says you need to love mercy. And that loving mercy means, you know what? Are you accustomed to mercy? Does it does it permeate your thoughts? Are you looking for mercy? Because there's a lot of situations that we may find ourselves in. Others may find themselves in that require mercy. Situations need justice. We need mercy. And then we need to walk humbly with our God. Oh, we do some walking. We walk through life all the time. And there's going to be some images. There's going to be some words. And I want us to focus on what we walk by. Because the world has so much that's going on. Look at these words.
I put those words at the end. They're not conditions. Those are people. Because homelessness has a face. Apathy has a face. All these things in our world plague us, plague mankind that God created. And so to that end, if we are going to be grateful for being in the kingdom, if we're going to be grateful for all that grace and mercy that God has freely given us, not once, but time and time and time and time again, then what does that mean for us? Guys, God wants us to help others find the kingdom. He wants us to help. Next slide. In Matthew 25, 31, let's look at what Jesus says. He's telling another parable. And he's talking about the sheep and the goats. And I'll read this. I didn't put it on the screen. It's a little more lengthy. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did. For one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. I don't think I need to read the other part because they on the left did not get the same. They did not have the same treatment. They were told, whatever you didn't do for these brothers of mine, you didn't do for me. How does that resonate with you personally? It's something for us to think about because Jesus wants us to do something. Let's go to the next slide. Think about who is hungry, who is thirsty. Who is an outsider? Who in your life is unclothed? Who in your life is sick? And who's in prison? Devon, what do you mean? Do you mean literally? Yes. Yes, literally. But what about metaphorically? Yes, that too. In every understanding of what it means to be hungry, do you know who that person is? In every understanding of what thirst means, do you know who's thirsty in your life? In every understanding of what it means to be a stranger and be left out, are you bringing people in? In every understanding of what it means to be lacking in clothing, are you helping to clothe people so that they can be comfortable, warm in this life? Whatever it means to you in terms of illness or sickness, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, 
or physically? Are you meeting that need? Because you're in the kingdom. Amen. What does it mean to you when we talk about imprisoned? Are we talking about going to a prison? Yes. Amen. Do that, too. Can you do everything? No, you can't do everything. But you and I can do something. We have a whatever. Amen. And that's the question that we need to leave with. What is our whatever? And I don't mean like whatever. No, it takes thought. Whatever you do for the least of these brothers of mine, you do for me. I appreciate Jesus making it a little easier for me to serve. Amen. Here's something that's been on my mind, on my heart. Water. Right now, you think the fight in the world is oil? Trust me, it's going to be about water very soon here. In fact, it's already begun. Do you know that right now, one out of eight kids die just because they have unclean water? I know there are some ministries that are already focusing on this, but this is hitting me to the point where I, I, don't, I don't feel comfortable anymore just drinking water out of a bottle. I don't feel comfortable anymore wasting water. But I want to go a little farther. I want to actually give to organizations that are helping that because I don't think I'm going to be going over there anytime soon. But who knows? God may take me there. But there's something. That's just an example. Next slide. What about Regional Food Bank? It's funny. One of our friends is the president of the Regional Food Bank in L.A. I don't know too much about it, but I do know I saw an ad that came in and it had a kid that said it wasn't my turn to eat today. I understand marketing. I understand all that. But as a teacher, I know that that's not far from the truth. Next slide. What about homelessness? We see that every day. But what are we going to do about it? That's all stuff that could be internationally, bring it down regionally. But let's go to this. I have a question for us. Next slide. Somebody tell me, what does a coworker look like that's going through a divorce? Certainly not him. What does a suicidal teen look like? Certainly not them, right? And what does a lonely single person look like? Oh, no, she can't be lonely. When I say that we walk through life and we miss all this because we're walking in our lanes and we forget about the king and the kingdom and we go through our lanes And we miss all this other stuff that's going on that could be pretty obvious. But if we're missing the obvious, what chance do we have for the stuff that's not obvious? Like the coworker, the teen, the single. Somebody had their minds open when they talked to you and I. Somebody had their hearts engaged when they talked to you and I. And in the kingdom, we want to reach out to others, not just because it's an obligation. No, but because it's from the heart. Because we are grateful. Brothers and sisters, I pray that as we close with this passage that we started on, that we would realize how amazing the kingdom is. The kingdom, again, is like somebody who wasn't looking, who stumbled across it. Out of thin air, this thing happened. No, God wanted it to be found. And he used somebody to make sure it was obvious. They might not have been looking for it. But they found it because of your act of kindness. They found it because of your prayers. They found it because of your service. They found it because of God's grace. And then there's the person who's religious that has been looking for it all their life. They go to this church, that church, this church, that church. They've been this. They've been that. They've been this. They'll be this again. 
They've walked down the aisles. They've been prayed over. They've been holy water. They've been everything else. That was me. I can't tell you how many times that I prayed the sinner's prayer. I can't tell you how many times that I tried to get it right. But there was one day, amen, that God worked it out for me. But you know what he had to do? He had to make me see my need, my true need. And when I found it, the effect was the same as the person who stumbled over it. I ran and sold everything that I had so that I can be in his kingdom. The kingdom is for you and me, but God has got to move some obstacles in our lives. Brothers and sisters, let's let God move that bus. Let's let God move that bus in our hearts so that we can put the king back in the kingdom. Let's God, let's let God move that bus in the world through us. Amen. And let's change the world and let's change ourselves and our families and our friends. Amen.